Welcome to the Agency Collective Tales with Ellie Hale, our podcast where we talk to our brilliant agency owners about all things agency life. I am talking today on the podcast to Serdar Pactin from Pact. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm really excited to learn where your agency came from. So a bit about your background and a bit about how you started your agency. I was working as a strategist and I was getting on the side projects from UK and overseas agencies when I lived in Istanbul. I was working as a cultural insight semiotics consultant for global agencies that are focusing on Turkey. And then I extended doing that to Middle East and North Africa. And when I started doing my own business, I had one thing, the international on the side, and I had one local brands on the other side. And the international side of the business grew by itself, me without investing any time in it. I was investing all the time to my Turkish clients and it didn't really pick up. Right. It was like a clear decision which direction to go. And I moved the agency to London in 2018. And since then, I'm working with international clients and other agencies that we help to discover Turkey, Middle East and North Africa region. And we're extending beyond that to more of a non-Western markets. PACT is a holistic sense-making agency. We focus on cross-cultural understanding and cultural insight to help our clients make better decisions across cultures and understanding their audiences, discovering opportunity areas in different cultural spaces, so to speak. Have you managed to stop your clients from making any major faux pas? I believe that we made a few things. And with Netflix, for instance, in 2019, made their first Turkish Netflix original, which was a superhero saving Istanbul from immortal evil people. And that's didn't really pick up in its first season. I think they were wondering what they did wrong. And we worked on a bigger semiotics project. We watched more than 50 titles, Netflix and non-Netflix, international and local TV series and movies. And we came up with a map of storyline and characters and production. And we came up saying, these are the insights. These are what you should focus on. And this is what you're doing wrong. One of the major things is that Turkey and most of the Middle East and Eastern markets are collectivist cultures. So it's based on the community rather than the individual. And most of the Western countries are based on individuals. Therefore, in a Western markets, a superhero story might be interesting because it's based on an individual accomplishing something. But in an Eastern market, it is more focusing on the community about neighborhoods, about families. So there is more of a community in there. And so it just wouldn't... wasn't resonating at all. Exactly. So a superhero saving Istanbul is not resonating. And they also prefer realistic characters, somebody they could really sit down at a dinner table and have a conversation with. By the time when we were doing that research, I visited Istanbul and I was talking to this cab driver and I said, like, what do you think about the superhero on Netflix? He said, we are all superheroes making home at night don't need somebody saving the whole city. Making home, say, feeding your family is good enough to be a superhero for your community. Since then, Netflix is creating really successful series in Turkey, Netflix Originals. And they also recently published a report how much they contribute to the Turkish economy in the last three years. And I think we have part in that, but I can't really claim that partner I mean you can't claim it was solely you but you were a part of it that's amazing how exciting 
It is. As you see, we help them understand the culture, the cultural codes in that market, and we help them make better decisions or design new products or develop new services for that cultural opportunity in that region, in that subculture. It doesn't have to be different cultures. It could be a subculture within a country as well, because cyclists, it is a culture. You have to understand cyclists to be able to provide them value. Vegans, vegetarians, they all have their own culture underneath that. That's brilliant. Was it like starting an agency in a new country? Had you lived in London before or did you just come over completely fresh thinking new country, new agency, here I go? Well, I've never been to the UK before. I came here first time, I think, in 2016 or 17. By the time I was contemplating about moving abroad, and I had two options, be it either New York or London. And I lived in New York before, and that's why I that was my first choice. But I had a project in New York, and I spent a month there, and I decided, no, New York is no longer where I want to live. And then I came to London and the first step out of this tube, looking around, seeing the people, I said, I could live here. But also UK had a visa deal with Turkey. So it was easier to get a visa. I already had clients here. So it was also another advantage to choose here. And there's also little time difference between Turkey and London. And also it's quicker to fly in between. These are the four main points why I chose London. Yeah. And that was my first time moving here. So it was difficult because my background is in cultural studies with a focus on American studies. So I already knew American culture, American type of business, American way of doing things. But the British way of doing things and British business culture was a novelty to me. That's really interesting. So as a cultural insight specialist, what are the business cultural differences then between the US and the UK? The polite indirectness in the culture is the major thing. I'm good at understanding it, but implementing it, I'm still having difficulties. Americans are very direct and Turks are quite direct as well. UK is not as easy as the US to penetrate as an outsider. Once you come in, it would need some time for the community to accept you. My first years were trying to prove myself again to ex-clients, long-standing relationship. But when you're in the country, I think that relationship changes a bit to them once again, be able to get to that point. U.S. is more open to people who want to do things. And once you start creating it, they just let you in. As long as you're producing value, this is more of a community that's letting you in slowly in the U.K. A bit more skeptical. I would say so, yeah. But that's also probably related to that long-standing culture of business. U.S. in comparison to U.K. is just the last few hundred years. And there's this almost a thousand years of business tradition here. And it's quite understandable to have that checkpoint so to speak so how do you find your clients for pact is it a case of you going in and trying to source and trying to suss out who might have a need for your services or when you have the need for cultural insights is it really clear and is it really apparent my background is in strategy. So I've always been a strategist. And then I moved into a niche part of strategy into cultural insights and semiotics. And most of my clients have come to me through existing clients and through referrals. And as I said, I'm a strategist, so I'm not really good at new business. So I am not really creating new business myself by reaching out to people and creating connections. Most of my business still comes from referrals and networks. A brilliant way to get your new business. 
Yeah, it means that you're doing good jobs so that they're referring to other people, which is great. I think you need to be able to good at creating new business through new relationships out of blue or reaching out to potential clients. And one of my methods is to build hypothesis on opportunity areas because our skill set is to find opportunities within a cultural space and presenting it to potential clients. But as long as they're not aware of that opportunity, that's not really resonating with them. So it was a good experiment, but it's not the way forward, apparently. You were talking to yourself, I imagine. You were like, there's this space where you could do this. And they're like, what is it? I don't want to do that. We're not doing that. So you're like, oh, I see. What have been your key challenges and learnings the past four years? It's a difficult question. There's so many things that's rushing to my mind immediately. First thing, we have a saying, a tailor cannot mend his own clothes or a doctor cannot cure themselves. Even though we consult with our clients, you need to listen to your target audience. You need to know who they are, shape your value proposition and your benefits towards their understanding. When I first came in, I wasn't doing that really. I was doing what I believed would be the meaningful thing. And then just implementing it, not even testing it, not even thinking through it, just going straight ahead like any other entrepreneur. When we talk to them, we say, that's not the way forward. And then doing it yourself is quite ironic. Agency founders do that all the time, though. You can do the do for your clients, but actually when it comes to yourself or your self-promotion or web development agencies that never work on their own website because you don't fix yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. We know how to do it and we don't really do it for ourselves. And it's very ironic. Second thing I could say, most of the agencies in our space, like with working with cultural insights and semiotics, when I first moved in, I was doing this research and I realized that we were all trying to sell the methodology. It is like a car company trying to sell. We do machine engineering. But a car company sells mobility. We get you from point A to point B. And people who buy the car does not really care if it's machine engineering or AI technology, whatever you do, you do it, just give me the product and I'm here for the benefit that the product provides me. Um, The agencies were more focusing on the methodology rather than the outcome or the benefits that they were providing for their clients. So I tried to focus on that and I think I didn't really do it a good way because I was also focusing on something missing the point rather than the benefit. After doing it for two years, the pandemic gave you quite an extensive time to think about these kind of things. Two years of some solid thinking time. (laughs) I realized I'm doing everything wrong and I'm still not doing everything right. I'm working on it to realize how to simplify things, turn it into a storytelling approach, and then make it very clear and simple for clients to understand what benefit you're providing them. And as you can see, I'm still not really good at it. I think you're doing fine. Agency founders are going to be listening to this podcast. In terms of cultural analysis, what would you say the key benefits are for them doing a real deep dive? I could say two major things. One, to avoid any major mistakes that they wouldn't realize in their branding strategy, product development, that's going to take them a long time. Investing in a cultural analysis beforehand saves a lot of time and money. For instance, this is from a very early project. 
you're working on a soup product and the soup product was going to be liquid form. And then we were focusing on Turkish market again. And then at the end of the project, we came up with soup means nutrition in Turkey. Could be a full meal by itself. But in a Western culture, soup is more liquid because it's regarded as an appetizer mostly. And then if they had the assumption of a soup in a Western sense and they implemented a liquid form soup into a bottle or a box and I put it on the shelf and then it didn't work. It was going to be first, did we do something wrong with the shelf choice that we made in there? And then it was going to be the branding, the, the packaging. And then when you come to the content itself, as it's meaningful or not, was going to be the last thing that they were going to think. When it becomes the first thing that you think, it avoids all that big line of mistakes. Yeah, all can. of that old hoo-ha. You want your products to be the most impactful, right? Focusing on the content and the semiotics and the cultural codes of your market gives you all the clues what your product should be how it should speak, what it should present as a benefit. Because cultural codes define our preferences and beliefs collectively. They speak about consumer psychology, but before psychology comes culture. And our decisions and behaviors are automatically defined in our culture. And if you understand the cultural codes, you know what moves people or what people think is meaningful or not. And by that, you avoid doing a lot of mistakes in designing and implementing and executing and market entry. But it saves a lot of time and money. Second thing, it could help them discover new opportunity areas, developing new products, new services for that cultural space or pivoting their products to the needs of those spaces. For instance, we had this talk with a major music streaming platform before. They were going to penetrate into Middle East, but the music listening habits and what people expect from music and when they listen to music, why they listen to music is different than the Western audience. So if you are going to enter the Eastern market, you need to pivot your product a bit to reflect the needs and the culture of that thing. Because music is a cultural product and you can't just implement a global product into all worlds the way it is. And Facebook and Netflix understands this a lot and they do a lot of research and understanding different cultural spaces and they implement that. So you can see the success of Netflix originals in regional spaces because they do these overarching cultures. They do one Turkish Netflix originals and sell it to the whole region. They do one Israeli or Lebanese Netflix original, sell it to the whole region. And then they go to global scale with La Casa de Papel or Squid Game. They are supposed to be regional products, but they got something right in a global sense and they exceeded beyond expectation. To summarize, by doing this cultural analysis, agencies and brands could avoid doing major mistakes in different markets and different cultural spaces or discover new opportunity areas in those cultural spaces to build new products and services or pivoting their brand and positioning into those cultural spaces. That's brilliant. Is the majority of your work in other countries or like you said, is it becoming more about the sub-communities like the way you speak to cyclists and their interests or vegans, like you said? I mean, I can see that there is work being done towards subcultures, but they're not still doing with a cultural emphasis on it. It's still the creative agencies do it in their own way. I don't think they do it with a cultural emphasis on it, but also I don't know the whole space. So it's my assumption. 
but it's still more of a regional, local and national cultures are the main essence of this kind of work. But I think it's already moving to that space, but it is still done by not cultural experts, like mostly creatives and other kinds of researchers, I guess. So we should move the subcultures into the cultural domain in terms of understanding their semiotics, understanding their cultural codes, be it cyclists, be it vegans, be it weekend campers. They all have a certain code of conduct and cultural codes and there are certain things that they aspire to. And I'm giving cyclists and vegans as example because those are the most obvious ones that we can relate to. Absolutely. So what is next for PACT? What's coming up? What do you see happening in the next couple of years? Great question. Uh, we had a two years hold. So we want to continue where we left off in 2020. Because it was like first two years in the UK, we just established and got into a steady cash flow and growth. And that stops where it was. And there's literally no work in 2020. Because what we do is new opportunities, new spaces, and everybody retreated back to... No one was their... going anywhere. Exactly. Everybody was in their safe space. And that's why we didn't have any work. But now with the pandemic reasonably under control, apparently, and then the, the economy is going somewhere... <laughs> <laughs> the economy is doing something. Who knows? Something. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Our next two years will be getting back on track and growing in the UK and hopefully growing our team here and doing more cultural work on broader regional and cultural framework. We are still mostly doing the Islamic markets, but we want to extend beyond that. And that's one of our main goals to get projects going beyond regional cultures and also going into different subcultures and not only discovering the culture, but also imagining a future in those cultures, how things are going to be meaningful towards the future and discovering those cultural spaces that's going to be more meaningful in following five to 10 years, more into connecting futures with cultural analysis and mashing up a methodology out of it. What almost predicting trends that there may be? It's not really predicting trends, but it's more like a personalized, meaningful area discoveries towards the future. So more than what's going to be meaningful, what's going to be meaningful for you as a client or as an actor in that space. Exciting times coming up. Serda, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been really eye-opening in a part of agency life that I really haven't given much thought to. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. You know, thank you for inviting me and all these great questions because I wouldn't be able to explain them otherwise without your questions. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, stay in touch, and if you like what you hear, find out more at theagencycollective.co.uk.